and I lost my hat during the rain. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Today we bring you a third edition of Texas Trail Drivers, a two-volume book compiling first-hand stories from experienced trail drivers and their life on the plains. So in a different kind of episode, we're here to give you three tales of Texas in their own words. But first, how do you like your steak? Well, I uh, I actually have gotten to where I really like um, black and blue, or sometimes referred to as Chicago rare, where it's really seared and charred on the outside, and it's almost mooing on the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That sounds... it's, uh, it, it can be as rare as you want, as long as it's hot. It sounds complicated. Yeah. Well, um, I might be boring, but um, I prefer uh, a steak-cooked medium, uh, pink and juicy in the middle. Yeah, I'm going to go with Scott on this one. I'm going to say I'm usually medium. In a restaurant, sometimes maybe I like it almost medium rare, but uh, you know I don't like it. Most, I, don't, I don't like things. Cr- I don't like things like burned. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't like it uh, much more rare than that um, because I prefer to be able to chew my food mm-hmm. rather than um, gnaw on it like gum. Yeah, yeah. What you're describing, Sean, sounds a bit more like a meat geode. <laughs> sort of a rocky yeah. exterior with a beautiful crystalline interior. Well, my my other preferred method is is a uh, is a uh, skewer style at a churisco like a Fogo de Chao or a Rafaines or a Texas de Brazil. The good old cowboy days. A poem by Luther A. Lahan. My fancy drifts as often through the murky misty maze of the past to other seasons, to the good old cowboy days. When the grass was green and waving and the skies was soft and blue. And the men were brave and loyal and the women fair and true. The old-time cowboy hears to him from hired hand to boss. His soul was free from envy and his heart was free from dross. And deep within his nature, which was rugged high and bold, there ran a vein of metal and the metal men was gold. He'd stand up drunk or sober, gin a thousand for his rights, He'd sometimes close an argument by shooting out the lights. And when there was a killing by the quickest on the draw, he weren't disposed to quibble about the majesty of law, but a thief, a low-down villain, why he had no use for him, and was mighty apt to leave him dangling from a handy limb. He was healed and allers ready, quick with pistol or with knife, but he never shirked a danger or a duty in his life. And at a tale of sorrow or of innocence beguiled, his heart was just as tender as the heart of any child. In woman, I, her honor, was a sacred thing, and hence he threw his arms around her in a figurative sense. His home was yours where it was, and open stood the door, whose hinges never closed upon the needy or the poor, and high or low it mattered not the time of night or day, the stranger found a welcome just as long as he would stay was honest to the marrow, and his bond was in his word. He paid for every critter that he cut into his herd. And take your note, because he loaned a friend a little pelf. No, sir, indeed, he thought you was as worthy as himself. And when you came and paid it back, as was proper and meet, 
You trod upon forbidden ground to ask for a receipt. In former case, you paid the debt. There weren't no interest due. And in the latter, chances was he'd put a hole through you. The old-time cowboy had his faults, tis true, and has been said. He'd look upon the liquor when the liquor... Oh, he'd look upon the liquor when the liquor men was red. His language weren't allers spoken according to the rule, nor was it such that you'd expect to hear at Sunday school. But when he went to meetin' men, he didn't yawn or doze, or sat there taking notice of congregation's clothes. He listened to the preacher with respect and all of that, and he never failed to ante when they passed around the hat. I called to mind the tournament, and then the ball at night, of how old Porter drawed the bow and sawed with all his might, of how they danced the boys and girls, and how that one was there, with rosy cheeks and hazel eyes and golden curly hair. And I, but here I'm teaching on a mighty tender spot, that boyhood love at this late date had better be forgot. But still at times my heart goes back again and fondly strays amidst those dear remembered scenes, the old good cowboy days. The old-time cowboy was a man all over. Hear me, men. I somehow can figure we'll never see his like again. The few that's left are older now. Their hair is mostly white. Their forms are not so active and their eyes are not so bright. As when the grass was waving green, the skies was soft and blue, and men were brave and loyal and the women fair and true. And the land was filled with plenty and the range was free to graze and all rode as brothers in the good old cowboy days. It's a nice little uh, epic, cowboy epic. So you got to go and download this book. Look on page 124 at the good old cowboy days, and you'll see the uh, interesting kind of dialect, patois, kind of cowboy writing he wrote this in. It's a great poem, though, and it, uh, I think, really sums up what people think cowboys are. It'd be interesting to uh, you know hear that set to, if not set to music, then uh, with a little uh, campfire strumming in the background. Oh, there you go, guys. So, uh, yeah. and, so uh, big fan. Download Sam it. Elliott reading it. Sam Elliott <laughs> reading it. Oh, you hurt my feelings, Sean. I tell you what. Uh, <laughs> if there's a fan out there, go ahead. Knock yourself out. I think it's time for Remix. Or if uh, Sam Elliott would like to uh, come on our podcast yeah. and, and read that. You have to use so many curse words, dude. <laughs> All right. Well, the one I'm going to read is uh, called Played Pranks on the Tenderfoot by Henry D. Steele of San Antonio, Texas. Early in the spring of 1882, I was employed by Mark Withers of Lockhart to go up the trail with a herd to Kansas. Before starting on the trip, I went to San Antonio and purchased a complete cowboy equipment. Broad-banded, broad-brimmed hat, Leggings, Colt's pistol, scabbard, cartridges, and the usual trimmings. We went down to McMullen County to get the cattle, and I was selected as horse wrangler for the outfit. The cattle were brought from a man. The cattle were bought from a man by the name of Martin. While we were at Tilden, George Hill came up with some. Bo- George Hill came up with some of the boys and helped to gather the herd. I was pretty much of a tenderfoot, just a slip of a boy. And the hands told me this man Hill was a pretty tough customer. And the hands told me this man Hill was a pretty tough character and would steal anything he could get his hands on because he might kill me if I didn't watch him. They loaded me up pretty well on this kind of information and I really believed it. 
They would steal my matches, cartridges, cigarette papers, and handkerchiefs and tell me Hill got them. I reached a time when I was deprived of almost everything I had and even had to skin prickly pears to get the wrapping for my cigarettes, believing all the while that the fellow Hill had cleaned me up. Things were getting serious, and I was desperate, and if Hill had made any kind of a break, the consequence probably would have been a disaster. At last, Hill, who was fully aware of the game that was being played on me, called me aside and told me that it was all a put-up job and said it had been carried far enough. We all had a good laugh, and from that time forward, harmony reigned in the camp. John's story was our cook until we reached Coleman County, but there he left us and returned to Lockhart to engage in the blacksmith business. After Story left us, I had to do the cooking sometime, and getting tired of that work, I quit the herd and returned home. George Hill accompanied me as far as Austin. In the spring of 1883, I was employed by Dick Head of Lockhart to go with the herd. Monroe Hardiman was boss. We gathered the cattle in Mason and Coleman counties. The cattle were pretty thin as the range was dry and had little grass. We passed through McCulloch County, through North Texas, and into Indian Territory. Crossed the Washita River when it was on a big rise. That night, we had a severe thunderstorm, and I lost my hat during the rain. When we reached Dodge City, Kansas, we remained there several days to allow the herd to rest, and from here we proceeded to Ogallala, Nebraska, where Mr. Head sold the cattle and most of the crew came home. But Joe Lovelady, Pat Garrison, myself, and Charlie Hedgepith, a Negro, went on with the herd to Cheyenne, Wyoming, where we arrived in August. When we started back, we brought our tickets for Austin, and the price was $33.35 each. It has just been 37 years since I went over the trail. I do not know what has become of the men who went on that trip. One of the hands, Charlie Hedgepith, the Negro, was hanged in Seguin by a mob some years ago. I saw Mark Withers at Old Trail Drivers Reunion in San Antonio in 1917. They they put the shine on the on the. Oh my gosh! Then what a great what a great the shine story. on the tenderfoot. Yeah. but you know it's a funny story too because it's like you know if you're stuck out in the middle of nowhere with just nothing to do. Yeah, this is what you do. This happens everywhere. <laughs> this this could have been at a uh, this could have been at a washer factory. This could have been. Uh, you know, yeah. well, I mean, I think it's a natural tendency, especially with any sort of thing that you're involved in that has a lot of downtime. Because, um, you know, yeah, you're driving the cattle, but you're not driving them all night. So what are you going to do for those those nights and those days that you're you're waiting to to go on the next leg of the trip? Well, we'll mess with the new guy. Yeah, you, you may only have one book if there's one book at all. It, it might be a Bible. Uh, gotta wonder. Um, gotta wonder how a uh, cigarette. Rolled in a prickly pear, <laughs> yeah. would uh, would perform. That's interesting. Yeah. I want to know did he did he go to the uh, did he go to the A and P in San Antonio and did they have the complete cowboy equipment there? Like to say this is your kit, like or did they say <laughs> did they have a list and say here you need a hat, leggings, a pistol, a scabbard, cartridges, like the. These are and the and what's in the usual trimmings? That's also what I want to know. <laughs> it also include chaps and and yeah, those, those wristband things, or does it, does it include a, be, a rope and a belt? That's those are the kind of things <laughs> I want to know of night of eighteen eighty two Texas. So uh, 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 
<laughs> to the to the dry goods store. What, what what kind of hat did he have that was so important that he lost? But that's pretty amazing that they cased all all this stuff. Yeah. It said it was that guy Henry, that guy Hill. <laughs> I was going to say, kill you if you look at him what, wrong. What I found interesting though is he didn't mention whether he got any of it back. <laughs> yeah. Well, the guy was his, the guy became his friend, so I would hope yeah. that that the odds are he got it back. I did like that Hill was like, Hill pulled me aside, who was in on it the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Just. It was like, up, oh, oh, we're all happy now. It's a sad story for Charlie Hedgepith. Uh, <laughs> well, I know. Yeah. There's like, it's kind of a bummer of an ending. Um, yeah. Let's, let, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's end this with a lynching. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> that's a part of Texas's past. It's, oh, it's yeah. unfortunate that it's so blase that he was hanged in Seguin by a mob. Yeah. Well, what I think is interesting about um, most of these stories that we've we've read out of this book, um, everything's just it's really just an account in their own words. Uh, most of them are not trying to be flowery about it. They're just recounting. Well, these are things that happened, and this is what I remember. Um, there's not any romanticism about it. I mean, the poem um, was a little bit different than most of the other things that we read. Most of these are just like, well, you know, this happened this year. This happened after that, and this is what happened in the end. There's no, uh, you know, lyrical turns of phrase on a lot of it or reflection on meaning of things. So, mm -hmm. and this one is entitled exciting experiences on the frontier and on the trail. And it's written by CW Ackerman of San Antonio. I was born in the year 1855 on the Salado Creek, four miles east of San Antonio, Bayard County, Texas. My first adventure I can remember was when I was six years old. One day, my brother, ten years old, asked me to go with him to hunt some cows. We both rode on one horse. After we had ridden for several miles, we found a cow with a young calf. My brother told me to stay with that cow while he hunted others. Then he would return for me. While he was gone, the cow and calf rambled off, and I got lost from them in the high grass. I kept on hunting the cow, and in the meantime, my brother returned for me, but could not find me. After hunting for me a while, he concluded I had followed the cow home, so he went on home. My parents immediately began to search for me. In the meantime, I kept on walking in the direction the cow went, believing I was going home, till night came. The wolves began to howl and scared me, so I climbed up a little tree, where I remained till they stopped howling. Then I crawled down and slept soundly under the tree till the sun woke me up. I got up and started off again. I walked all day with nothing to eat but chaparral berries, and I was fortunate enough to find a small pool of water that afternoon. By night, I had not reached home, so I made my bed under a tree as I had done the night before. That night, there was a big thunderstorm and rain. I was completely drenched, but my courage never failed, so in the morning, bright and early, I started out. I heard some roosters crowing, so I went in that direction, thinking I had at last found home. But, to my disappointment, it was only a Mexican house. The dogs began to chase me, but the old man called them back, then took me in his house where they were just ready to eat breakfast. I was scared almost lifeless, for I could neither speak nor understand Spanish. I could picture them roasting me for dinner and all kinds of horrible things they might do with me. Nevertheless, I greedily drank the cup of coffee and ate the piece of bread they gave me and asked for more because I was almost starved, but they would not give me any more. 
Immediately after breakfast, the old hombre saddled his horse, tied a rope around me, and put me behind him on his horse. Then he rode to an American family and got a written note from the white man that he, the Mexican, had not kidnapped me, but was taking me home. The old Mexican took me on home and received a generous reward from my father. Afterward, I learned that I had roamed to Chipadares, a distance of about 20 miles from my home. At that time, that was the nearest settlement southeast of home. During the Civil War, I was just a mere boy of nine years. Nevertheless, I recall some thrilling adventures. My father was exempted from the army on account of owning a flour mill. This mill was located on the San Antonio River, about 16 miles from our farm. Father had to run the mill himself, so he and mother moved there and left my older brother, 13 years old, and I at the farm to take care of the stock and everything. One day, while I was alone, the Confederate soldiers came around gathering up horses. They threatened to take mine and had me scared to death. I begged hard for my horse, and I told them that I needed him to get supplies with. After frightening me real good, they told me I could keep my horse. I was the only one they left with a horse around that neighborhood. The schools in those days were very much different to the schools of today. We only had private schools, and these lasted the entire year. Our only vacation was two weeks in August. The only subjects they taught were reading, writing, arithmetic, spelling, history, geography, and grammar. On Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we studied reading, writing, spelling, and arithmetic. On Thursday and Friday, we had history, grammar, and geography. I started to school when I was 11 years old and attended three years. After that, I was sent to San Antonio, where I studied surveying. When I was a boy, rounding up cattle was a very exciting event. In those days, people did not have their pastures fenced, so the cattle often wandered many miles from home. About the beginning of spring, we would start on the roundup. Three or four neighborhoods would send out 10 to 15 men together. Out of these, one man was selected as captain. I was just 14 years old when I went out on my first roundup. My father put me in the care of our captain, and from him, I learned how to rope and brand cattle and many other important things one should know about roundups. I often roped and branded as many as 8 or 10 calves by myself in a day. Branding was not a very easy task either, for we had to run the brand. We had no ready-made brands as now. Many times we had to gather the wilder cattle at night. When they went out on the prairie, we would sneak a tame bunch of cattle in with them and thus drive them into a corral. Sometimes we would build a stockade around water holes, leaving only one opening for the cattle to get in. Even with such a trap, we were often unable to hold the wildest ones in. Licenses permitting one to carry arms was unheard of in my earlier days. Every man always carried his six-shooter buckled to his side. This was necessary on account of there being so many robbers. There were about 40 or more highway robbers scattered over the country in squads of five or six men. I remember one time, as three of the other boys and myself were coming from the market in San Antonio, we were waylaid by some robbers. Fortunately, we spied them in time and each of us galloped off in different directions. They fired at us, but we all escaped unharmed. When I was 16 years old, I had a little experience with horse thieves. My father noticed a suspicious-looking man riding around our place one day, so he told us boys we had better watch the horses. My brother and I went out to guard the horses that night, and just about midnight, the thieves came in two or three different squads. How many there were, we never knew. 
We watched them give signals to each other with the fire of their cigarettes. Then we fired at them and scared them away. We hit one of them, but never knew if we killed him or not. After that, we were never bothered with those horse thieves. The robbers were certainly skillful. I recall one day when my brother and I were out on a hunt, we laid down to rest. We used our saddles for pillows and put our belts and six-shooters underneath them. While we were resting, someone sneaked up and stole my belt and six-shooter right from under my head. I suppose whoever it was thought I had money in the little money pouch on my belt, but they sure got fooled. In 1872, we were not allowed so much liberty. A law was passed which prohibited men from carrying concealed arms. In 1874, horse thieves and highway robbers were so bad something had to be done. The ranchmen formed an organization known as the Stock Association to rid the country of these marauders. I was one of the 50 deputies elected. After a year's time, we had Bayar County clear of robbers. My first trip up the old cow trail to Kansas was in the year 1873 when I was just a boy of 18. My father decided to take some of his cattle to the Kansas market as they sold so cheap here. At that time, 1,000-pound beeves sold in San Antonio for $8 per head and in Wichita, Kansas for $23.80 per head. Father asked a bunch of young cowboys if they thought that they could take his cattle to Kansas. As we were all young fellows between the ages of 18 and 22, eager for adventure, we willingly consented. So on the first day of February, we began gathering our cattle and finished rounding up a herd on March 14th. Early next morning, we started on our journey. We traveled all day, and that night made our first camping place where Converse Bayer County now stands, but at that time, it was only an open country. That first night was one never to be forgotten. It rained all night long, and our cattle stampeded 18 times. During one stampede, they ran into one of our men. His horse was run over by the cattle and crippled, while the man was carried off about a fourth of a mile on top of the cattle. He escaped with only a few bruises. We were lucky not to lose any cattle that night, but 15 head were crippled. The next morning, we bought a two-wheeled cart to carry our bedding and provisions in. Then, with the yoke of oxen hitched to it, we began our journey again and made our next stop on the Santa Clara, where now stands the little town, Marion. That night, there was an electric storm, which was followed by cold weather and frost. After a few days' rest, we resumed our trail. When we reached the Guadalupe River, it was up about six feet. Our cattle had to swim across, and our cart was taken on a ferryboat. At our next camping place, we had another stampede and lost 35 head of cattle, which we never found. When we reached the Colorado River, it also was up about four feet. After swimming that, we kept on the trail to Round Rock, where our yoke of oxen was stolen, so we had to rope and hitch two wild steers to the cart. When we reached Fort Worth, at that time a small town of 100 inhabitants, we sold our cart and bought a wagon and team of horses. It was a very rainy year, and every river we came to was up. However, we crossed the mall without loss. When we reached Washita River, an Indian territory, we had to stay there eight days on account of heavy rains. There I had my hardest time of the trip. For six nights I slept only about one and a half hours and never pulled off my slicker and boots. Upon reaching the Canadian River, we found it so high that we could not cross for two days. Our next stop was on Bluff Creek on the line of Kansas. There, one of our men, Joe Mingus, roped a buffalo calf, which we carried with us to Wichita, and sold it to Buffalo Joe, who was running a beer garden for the amusement of the trailmen. 
We camped on the river called Nenesquaw for three months in order to fatten our cattle for the market. Then my father came to Kansas by train and sold them. On the 7th of September, we began our return trip, bringing with us 45 head of saddle ponies. It took us 27 days to make the return trip to San Antonio. Only five of us made the return trip, Hartman, Eisenhower, Marquardt, Smith, and myself. Now, in the year 1874, I had another very thrilling experience. On account of such a dry year, my father decided to move to a different location. He did not know where to go, so he gave me the job of hunting a suitable place. In August of that year, I started out with two saddle horses and one pack horse. I went in a northwestern direction, then turned toward the Concho country. I went as far as the New Mexico boundary line, then started back home. The country I traveled through was very wild. There were just a few small settlements scattered here and there, and the people even seemed uncivilized. I saw antelope and buffalo by the thousands. It was that year the government was trying to kill out the buffalo. I passed many mule teams loaded with buffalo hides. Even though the country was wild, I found some excellent locations for a ranch, especially in the Concho country. When I returned home and told father about the wild country and people, he decided not to move so far away. So we bought a ranch close to where now stands Wetmore. Later, he gave me this ranch. I moved up there in 1877 and lived a bachelor's life until I married Emma Buch in 1882. We lived on that same ranch until 1905. Then I bought a small farm of 500 acres at Frat, about nine miles from San Antonio, and left one of my sons in charge of the ranch. I am now living a quiet, peaceful life on my farm. Every time I go up to my ranch, memories of those old, wild, happy days come back to me. Now I am 65 years old and have a clear record of never being arrested and never was involved in any kind of lawsuit. Well, who can argue with that track record? I was going to say, I hope we could all <clears throat> say that at some point. Well, it's just funny, like these, these stories, the realness of these stories of, I was just a dumb kid and I wandered off the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't die, so I lived to tell the tale. And here I spent it is. three days wandering in the woods because I was following a cow and didn't know my way home. Yeah. The guy stole yep. my pistol, hoping they'd take my money. But little did yeah. he know, I didn't have any money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, well, he could have just killed you. Right. Well, about back to following the cow, though, there was um, a story we told in the last time we did this one where, of course, the Tenderfoot you know, was on the old cow horse, and he was like, I wanted to go this way, but the horse wanted to go that way. But yeah. <laughs> I, I kept fighting the horse, and then I just gave up. And the, we, were, we were just walking in a circle the whole time. The horse knew exactly where we were. So, yeah. But uh, should, following the cow, that cow just wanted to get away. These are, these are always so fun to read these stories. Just like uh, what I find really interesting, too, is these aren't, these aren't young men's stories. These are... These stories were recorded when, when all of these ex-cattle drivers were actually quite old. They, they'd pretty much had their full lives at that point, and they were just telling these fun tales from the trail that seemed so far away to them, but for us seemed just impossibly far. And, and this story is full of minutia, like minute details that he still remembers about swimming yeah. in the Colorado River and uh, you know how many... Well, 
cattle were maimed in a the stampedes. Uh, yeah, well, stampeded it, eighteen times. And, yeah, well, it, you know, either it's his recollection, or maybe he kept journals or something. You know, that's yeah, I, yeah. It would and surprise actually, me if some of these guys kept a journal or at oh, least yeah. had a had a ledger, right? So they're on a trail ride and they got to keep track of their their cattle. So why not keep a ledger and you know make notes of what happened? So right, and that certainly was something that ever that lots of people did. Because it did, it gave you something to do in the in the drudgery yeah. of life. My my uh, great 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 grandfather, farmer in uh, in uh, Wisconsin, is my uncle has his journal, and it's like it's pretty dirt cut and dry. Harvested wheat today. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think so we these did. types of you know mundane everyday uh, kind of journalistic. Um, this is what happened. This is what happened next. Yeah. You know, this is what I ate this day. You know, those kinds of um, accounts of histor- history and, you know, everyday life is something that uh, a lot of times we don't think about and we don't see. You know, yeah. we, we talk about all the big historical events. You know, hey, this is the Battle of San Jacinto and, you know, this is the hurricane of 1900. And, of course, those are going to be written about a lot. And there's going to be all this information and reporting on it. But, you know, the everyday lives, we don't always get that day to day. So I, I'm really glad we came across this, this book and uh, we'll probably turn back to it sometime in the future. Yeah. And you know, it is it, it, that you're, you're right. And that they, these were independent businessmen. And so, I mean, even at 14, he was still in a, He was still responsible for a herd of cattle that he had to get to where it needed to go. So he had to keep account of all the cattle that they had and, and then they sold them. And so he had a, he had a, had to keep an account of everything of all their expenses and everything that they that they that cost them money, so yeah, they did they did need to keep that. So that's a good point to make. Yeah. Buffalo Joe, Buffalo. <laughs> who apparently you know bought buffalo from people. Yeah, true stories of the trail. Yep, pretty great. These are pretty great stories. Uh, it's definitely it's a cool old book that's worth your time to look up. Yeah, and if you are interested in reading them, uh, it's free online. We'll have a link on our site in the show notes. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show, you love Texas history, and you love old-time cowboy stories. So tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes and get them to leave a review on iTunes because it really helps us to find listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs> <laughs>